Life isn't about answers, it's about questions. Asking good questions is key to learning. That's a proven fact. And there is no more important question than why Jesus. So get ready as we dive into the conversation together on the next episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. We are live. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Why Jesus podcast hosted on the Why Jesus Network. I'm here with Ryan and John. How are you fellas doing this evening? What up? What up? Doing good, man. I'm good. Me and the Cokies. Yeah, we. it's some nice, beautiful, ambient Puerto Rican noises in the background. Once the music cuts out, they'll be able to hear that. Guys, tonight we are going to be looking at, if you've seen the thumbnail already, it's going to kind of be a, a, a wide kind of shot at a bunch of different topics that are being talked about. We're going to talk about a pretty poor argument for against the existence of God, and I think everyone will agree, but I think it's one that more people than not kind of believe, actually. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the culture of death that just continues in our world today and the tragedy that happened in the UK and some of our thoughts about that, as well as uh, a really interesting Rosaria Butterfield clip that we're going to take a look at today where she pulled out some of the receipts against uh, some people who I think have some decent scholarship and some other, maybe some issues that I wasn't so aware of. But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to hop right in to save us the time. I love the background. It's beautiful to hear those birds going and here we are this is it's, megan it's Rep- not hold on wait we gotta we gotta start over is it not birds <laughs> it's not birds a coquille is a little frog yeah. oh, they're frogs yep yep little frogs there you go i did not know that yeah. so that's because oh. you haven't visited me in puerto rico there's only one person <laughs> in this chat who has not visited me in puerto rico and that's you <laughs> I'm the only one that hasn't you gone are. to Puerto Rico. Hmm. Yep. yep. What are you doing over New Year's? Oh, uh, no, I can't. Uh, we'll I'll figure be, something out. I'll be back. I'll be yes. back in the cold tundra. <laughs> Oof. Oh, up north, up north. Yeah, see, it's a Bo, Bo, I think, was was lost in that one, too. It's a frog. I didn't know it was a frog, but that's okay. It, <laughs> I'm, it still sounds like birds in my head, but... We're talking <laughs> Megan Rapino. If you don't know who Megan Rapino is, here's a quick refresher. Megan Rapino has been uh, a U.S. soccer player on the women's national team for quite some time, and she participated in what is probably her last Olympics this past year during the World Cup. Or yeah, it was Olympics uh, for the the gold medal. And a few minutes into one of the matches, she tore her Achilles. Um, and here was her response to that. Now, Megan Rapinoe has been in the news for a lot of other things, usually talking about the pay gap between men's and women's sports. But here is her perspective on how much God must hate her, uh, or that what happened to her is proof God doesn't exist. Let's clip. And this is a long one, although I'm I'm gonna get the Aaron Rodgers treatment, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna be calling him or 
whoever did his surgery because we need to speed this up. But yeah, I thought about it a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like this is proof that there isn't. This is <laughs> up. Um, so yeah, it just, it's just up because like six minutes in, eat my Achilles. I mean, what the and this is a long one, although I'm, I'm going to get the Aaron Rodgers treatment. So language aside, like, what, what do you think about her perspective that the fact that her Achilles blew up in a sporting event is proof that God doesn't exist? So this this is one I'm actually kind of familiar with because uh, I saw somebody else post about it. But I think that this was her like final game, right? Like this might be her last game ever. It was the final. And, yeah. Okay. So to me, it's just crazy, right? Like let's just let's just zoom out real quick. So you've made it to be a professional soccer player, something that less than 1% of all little girl soccer players in the world ever become, but all dream of at one point. Um, you've been able to be an activist and uh, influence social change for you know the better in your view. Um, you've played all over the world. You've got flown all over the world for free. You've made an incredible career out of this. You haven't sustained any serious injuries throughout your whole entire career. And on the last day of your career, your Achilles goes out and this is the reason why God doesn't exist. Like, you want to know how short my boxing career was? <laughs> I... I was training for the Golden Gloves and I was running on a treadmill and my knee gave out. End of boxing career. I was like 19, 20 years old. Done. Like <laughs> God doesn't exist. I was on that treadmill. I was like, you know what? This is proof. This is proof. God doesn't exist. So that's that's my uh my input on it. You know, uh I have nothing but sarcastic rude things to say, to be honest. Uh, and I, you know, I don't take, I don't take it super offensive, you know, people who don't believe in God, I think that, uh, you know, they're going to say insulting things about God and foolish things, you know, and, uh, I got, I got plenty of jokes that I, I am going to refuse to say tonight. So that, that that's my take on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that there's, a, I think there's a difference though, between like, I'm not offended at all by this. If anything, it just shows the height of narcissism to think that somehow you are, I mean, this suffering, because what she's basically saying for herself is the problem of suffering in the world proves that God doesn't exist. And my suffering is so massive to me that this is the worst thing that could have ever happened in my life in her perspective, or that's at least what she's making out to be. And I think it's just absolutely ridiculous to think that. But like I said earlier, I think more people than not blame God or, or use things that are similar to this happening in their own life that may not even be that consequential. Now, some might be, but in the grand scheme of things, she's a millionaire who played soccer for most of her life. She's set for the rest of her life and she didn't get to play in her last world cup a little bit. And yet that for her is on the level of suffering to say it's proof that God doesn't exist because it's effed up. I just think that it, 
I'm glad she took it to that of an extreme because I think some people will take something bad happened to me and it may not even be that bad in comparison to the bad things in the world like this and say, I, I don't think God could ever allow something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I find the negative emotional response interesting too, because I'm sure that uh, she or others like her would not have the same positive emotional response when good things happen in their life. That that is some sort of proof that God does exist. Yeah, I've um, I've had a few friends. I have a few friends. Uh, when we've discussed God, the reason that they believe God doesn't exist was because He, quote, was not there for them when He needed or she needed them most, right? So God wasn't there for this person or these people when they needed God most. And I look at their lives and I see that they have so many good things going for them, but they look at a moment in the past in where, you know, they wanted to get through something. And I guess they asked God to get through it in a specific way and they didn't get through it in that specific way. Therefore, God doesn't exist. And it's it's more of an emotional argument. And Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. I think the problem of evil is one of the most difficult things to wrestle with um, when it comes to does God exist and how could an all loving God, how could an all loving God allow such suffering in the world? And I think that that's one of, you know, it's a relevant question to ask, but when you take a look at everything that's going on in the world, especially, you know, just the stuff that's going on in the middle East and you completely disregard that. And you just think that because you blew out your knee or, or you tore your Achilles, that this is the reason why God doesn't exist. I I don't know. I just, I think that that's very arrogant and self-centered and I don't know much about uh, this person. I'm just basing it off of uh, this, this statement that she just made, but I don't know. She could have just been saying it jokingly and and not really meant it, but either way it was said. Yeah. And and even if it's joking uh, again, uh, our, our goal here is into, uh, attack Megan Rapinoe and and clearly if she said she's not religious so we shouldn't expect her to um, follow what scripture says but at the same time uh, I think there are some that believe a version of what she says even if it doesn't sound as ridiculous as her saying it and and I think that that at least gives us an opportunity but yeah when we compare this especially to other suffering in the world this feels like the biggest non-suffering moment. (laughs) Like everyone feels bad for athletes when athletes get hurt, but no one is looking at these athletes and going, wow, that's, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. Very true. (laughs) So, and that, that brings me to our, our second topic, because I think in comparison, when you think of things that are happening, that, have more weight to them. I don't know how many of you were paying attention to this story. It's been going around for a little bit of time now and they came to a conclusion. Unfortunately, a conclusion recently this past, I think it was yesterday when this was reported, but the headline reads baby girl dies after UK court order her remove from life support. The intense legal battle underscored the challenges of navigating the boundaries between parental autonomy 
and medical authority. And so basically, the uh, too long didn't read. We're going to look at some of this article, though, because I think it's helpful, is that there was this little girl, uh, Indy Gregory, who was on life support in the UK. And it was deemed by her doctors that it was inhumane to keep her on life support instead to remove the life support and let her die. The parents wanted to continue to find other avenues of medicine and to continue to keep her on life support as they try and figure out if there is a way to get her healthy. And they had advocates in Rome and in the Vatican to help them and help them find another country that might support them. And the UK government would not allow that. There was a court case about it and the court case came down and the judges decided that it was more humane to let this little child die. So I'm just, I'm just curious because I, I don't know is uh, in UK, do they have universal healthcare? I'm fairly I believe so. so. Yeah. So, so that's why uh, they had to take it to court because Correct. the government didn't want to continue to pay for it. And, uh, and they, Wow, that's pretty tough. Well, yeah, I think really that's tough. what uh, I think that's what the firestorm is about. I think that they're claiming that the doctors cared about the suffering that the baby is going through, but I think folks who are uh, critical of universal health care would say that that's just sort of a cop out, um, to, and you you don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to keep this child alive that you assume is going to die in the near future. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to um, pretend to know how the doctors view this or not. You know, I'm not going to claim they have any malicious intent or they're just money hungry or anything. I, I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine that every doctor involved was like, yeah, pull the plug. You know, I, I just I can't see that, especially if you've worked with the child for an extended amount of time. Uh, I would think that, and this is my just subjective opinion on this, not not really understanding how things work in the UK. Um, but I think that if they do have universal health care, I'm not I'm not one who's necessarily against universal health care. I'm against not having an option for something else, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that if if you have somebody like getting funding or, or people searching for resources for you, like from the Vatican, and and there's a way, there's a possibility that you could find somewhere else in which the, the baby would possibly survive and, and live a full, healthy life. I just, man, how, how do you sleep at night? knowing that you have the resources for it, right? Because the, they're, they're not short of money over there. So knowing you have the resources for it and still deciding to just pull the plug, that's tough, man. That's tough. And I'm sure that people are going to wrestle with that decision for the rest of their lives, some of those people. Yeah. and what, Some of my uh, initial thoughts on this were I feel like it just sort of adds to, I think there's this, I think we're in the beginnings of another um, cultural conflict, uh, which is between parents and non-parents of children. I think that I think that you 
I think that there's already been sort of sort of this cultural conflict when it comes to the public school system, uh, where basically there's this there's this one train of thought that says that the teachers know better than the parents on what the kids need to learn and what's good for them. And so the teacher should be deciding how to educate. Um, whereas on the other hand, the parents say that they know better and they uh, they believe they know what the children should be taught. And then also, I feel like it's there's beginning to be some rumblings about complaints against homeschooling. Uh, I, I, I've been seeing some of the late night talk show hosts start to attack it uh, over the past month or two. And I think that that's just going to add on to the pile of this cultural conflict of parents versus non-parents in the raising up of children. And uh, it does, it does, honestly, it makes me a little bit nervous with, with little ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a lot of cultural conflicts that I don't really care to take part of or anything, but uh, you know, if they start coming for the kids and making laws that make it harder to parent the kids, then that kind of feels like a, a conflict that, I wouldn't be able to sit out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, so the um, I'm sorry. Go. No. Go for it. Go for it. I was just gonna um, say that the the founding pastor of my church here in Puerto Rico. He he came. He visited this weekend. He gave a sermon, uh, and at the men's breakfast, he disclosed to us how one of his grandchildren uh, told his parents that at school. They um, were talking about gender and LGBTQ stuff. And the teacher asked the kid, well, are, are you gay? Or do you think you might be gay? And the kid was like, no, I'm not, I'm not gay. And then the teacher said, well, how do you know if you don't try it? Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, my pastor was like, he, he's and he's like the sweetest dude, like super sweet dude. This pastor, and he's like, I, I, I lost it. I, I don't know, I don't know how. Like are, he, are you, you know, hey like John, like that. John, are you yeah. a murderer? Are you a murderer, John? How do you know what if you I don't do? try it? Oh wow! I, I thought, <laughs> wow, you really I walked right into that one. You had me. I was like, oh man. Was he was he watching me uh, when I was chasing the iguana down the street? It's you just know? so <laughs> the most ridiculous. That just to even make that comment is so yeah. ridiculous because we don't treat anything else in life that way, right? And and so I, I was scanning the rest of this article. I'd read it a while ago, but it it definitely sounds like it became more of a legal thing than it was about life. And when the Italian government was willing to step in and uh, try to help, they were willing to undermine or they were trying to undermine the court ruling when the when the UK court ruled that she would be taken off of life support. She got Italian citizenship and they were trying to move her from the UK to Italy. And that's what like even ramped this up more because the UK government was like, no, you can't come in here and undermine our court system. And it just Mm -hmm. kind of put things on a faster case. It says that she, this is a, the, the disease she had was from birth. She had been in the hospital from birth, but she had moments of good moments and moments of bad moments. She got an infection late in August that really made things more difficult. And she'd been on life support since August 
But her father, sharing in this article even, said there were times when she would act like a normal little baby, would be giggling and laughing, and then there would be moments when she wouldn't. And it seems to me what is being said here is that this child was in pain, and it's better for this child to be dead than be in pain. Mm-hmm. Yet that yeah, is that's, not that's... the perspective we take when the child is in the womb. Mm. We're, yeah, it's a good point. It's it, or at least they're not leaving that. They're leaving that option to the parents when the when the child is in the womb, but not to the parents when the, once the child is out of the womb, which sounds backwards. Mm. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Either it's, but again, when the mantra is "my body, my choice," all of a sudden that's not your body anymore. Once it's out of you, it's like, well, it's not your choice anymore. I guess it's the government's choice, which is absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. And that, what were you going to say, Ryan? You had a thought. Yeah, go for it, Ryan. No, I was just going to say when I was reading the judge's comments too. The judge is coming across almost like. Oh yeah, I know what the parents are saying, but I, I understand what's best for this child, and what's best is that we take the life of this child, and that's just like a, it's a very dystopian kind of scary, mm. uh, situation, to where, the state is deciding, that it's better for your child to die, when there's there's totally viable options for you to take your child to another country, and they blocked it because they because essentially they claimed that they know better. Than the parents and what's what's better for the child it's, it's pretty wild it's sick but uh, imagine imagine this was their child you know it, I, and i know that like your job as a judge is to interpret the law and do what's right according to the law but man in, in a situation like this you kind of got to look at the law and be like yeah I just I, I don't think i can rule this way you know, it, yeah. it's, it's tough. I wish I knew more about the, uh, the whole entire situation. They should make a movie out of it. I'm sure it would impact a lot of people's lives. One, well, it's sure. interesting because I think that, uh, the father had shared, I'd read one, one article where he said he's, he's not, not religious, but hearing, hearing people praying for his daughter and, and, and maybe I'm getting this wrong. Cause I've read too many different things. Um, brought him to consider different things. They, they had her baptized, which, um, in the, in the church of England, uh, we would, we Presbyterians who baptize babies baptize with a different perspective than the church of England. We don't have to get into that, but I, I think it could be interesting how maybe what has been intended for evil, God might turn into good and, and God can still bring something redemptive out of death that's what he does and that yeah. would be my prayer that something redemptive would come out of this so one of my friends um from minnesota i don't know if this incident happened in in minnesota but his niece had some rare disease in which uh they were trying to get not medical marijuana but like the the oils of it right like the mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about that stuff but it was illegal yeah, okay, in the yeah. state. <laughs> it was. I'm just kidding. Look, ask me, ask me, uh, pre Christ, I knew a lot about it. But as far as all these like <laughs> ver- varieties and stuff that they got going on now, I, I'm so lost, right? But anyway, there's like an extraction you can do and and use 
use part of it for medicinal use. And oh, it was seizures, right? Like she had uh, crazy seizures right. and she could not get the the treatment because it was illegal. It was illegal. It was illegal. So she ended up dying. And then they, I don't know if it was a court case or a petition or something, but they ended up creating, I believe her name was Emily and it was called the Emily Bill or whatever her name was, Bill. Mm-hmm. And it changed that uh, that part of the law in which when it came to situations as serious as hers, you are now allowed to use it for those medicinal purposes. And I, I you know, regardless of what people feel about uh, marijuana use and THC, if this was going to save that little girl's life and stop the tremors and stop the the seizures, then I think that that's fair use for something like that, right? So God can definitely use tragedy like this. You know, we always quote, I think on this on this podcast, we've we've said Romans 8.28 a million times, you know? Um, so he definitely can use situations like this for the greater good. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how a lot of people's argument against God is suffering and is uh, the, the terrible things that go on in their world. And if if we even go back to, I forget her name, but the soccer player who was complaining about her knee or whatever, we have absolutely no idea if she continued to play that game, she would have got cleated in the face or something like that and and totally disfigured herself or snapped her shin or something like that you have absolutely no no idea what god may have been preventing by stopping you from doing that i even look at my boxing stuff you know i have i wasn't the best boxer he probably saved me from brain injury um you know by having my knee get blown out we don't know uh, sure. why things happen the way that they happen. It doesn't mean we can't look at this and, and ask these serious questions, but I think that we've witnessed enough in the world to, to recognize that God can bring something good from something terrible. The resurrection is the, the prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Each of us are examples of that, right? Left to our own devices without God. Um, we have, we have no good in and of ourselves. And my hope and prayer is just what you said, that not even that something good necessarily, because it's, it's very hard for us to understand what, what will be good for, for the parents. But I, I, I hope and pray that this at least starts to wake people up to the, the reality of the culture of death that is, I mean, I, I know it's something we've seen, uh, especially talking about baby deletion and seeing things like that all over the place, but when it starts to get to these things too, hopefully this wakes up more people that that would I, because I even saw people that said this is horrible, but they are also fine with baby deletion, and so I think yeah. that there it's stories like this that might start to tip people in different directions. Um, as as crazy as that sounds, I think it's possible. Yeah. So, Wanna, can I just add one more thought to uh, please, baby deletion and uh, what's going on with this child? I think that uh, one thing that I always like to mention on this topic is that Satan loves uh, the death of children. And you see this throughout the history of the entire Bible back to uh, Moses' day when 
a pharaoh was having all the babies deleted. Um, or you look in the times of the Old Testament prophets uh, when they were prophesying against the surrounding nations because these nations were killing babies mm. and offering them to their idols. Then you move into Jesus's time uh, where Herod was having babies deleted. And then all throughout history, even post New Testament, there's all these times uh, throughout history when Satan has just truly enjoyed uh, the deletion of our babies. And so I think it's definitely worth the fight. And I think that it's a righteous fight to, to attempt to save the babies, uh, what, however that looks. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, our, our last topic this evening is going to be, a. Uh a clip from a speech that Rosaria Butterfield gave at Liberty University. Now, for those of you who may not know who Rosaria Butterfield is, I will give you the Cliff Notes version. She used to be a militant atheist lesbian professor who is now a conservative Christian wife of a pastor. That's her story. Um, and she attributes that solely to the work of Jesus Christ through radical hospitality of Christians in her life. And I think that if, if you want to read a book that she's written, there's some that I don't always love, but one that I do love is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a fantastic book. You will be convicted of what hospitality should look like inside and outside the church if you haven't. And so she's speaking particularly against and in this time talking about some of the Christian organizations that have come up and ministries that have come up um, to help people understand LGBTQ issues in the church and out of the church, understand scripture. And she's going to say some things that I think we're all going to agree with. And I think she's going to say some things that we might go, hmm, uh, maybe, maybe not that, uh, or at least maybe needs more clarification and nuance because I think she has a lot of good things to, to say here. So let's hop over to that and listen to this. It's about an eight-minute clip, so we'll play and pause back and forth. I'm going to make sure the audio is all the way up so that everyone can hear it. And if those of you listening or watching, if you're listening on the audio version on one of the podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google, sorry, this isn't live for you. But if you're listening live, tell us if it's bad so that I can correct it, because sometimes I never know. Let's hop in. God has allowed me to be a wife and a mother and a grandmother, a, a pastor's wife and a servant in the church. I count my family and church as God's greatest earthly blessings to me. And I have come to learn that while homosexuality is part of my biography, it is not part of my nature. So what do you, what do you just think of that statement? I know we're early in, but the idea that it's no longer part of her nature. Well, I would, I think I would need a little bit more context into what she means i mean is she talking about um now that she's born again 
I, I would assume that that's that that's what she means now. Yeah, I, th I think when we're talking old creation, new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I think there is something to be understood that our sin is nailed with Christ at the cross. I I actually probably would agree with her here. Uh, I think that when we talk about the the work of regeneration upon a, a dead in sin human being, I think that we we don't give enough credit <laughs> for how much the Holy Spirit does to bring us from the the wretched people we are to transform us into anything that resembles Christ, I think is a miracle. I think where she'll continue pushing this is around the idea of uh, temptations and temptations possibly equaling sin and making that distinction. I think that's where we're going to have some conversation here tonight as we keep going through. Let's, unless you got a thought, Ryan. I was just kind of stuck on the, on the beginning. I, I think I, may have misheard or misunderstood or something. Did she say that homosexuality is part of her biology? Biography. Biography. Okay. I so I did miss here. Okay, we're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's part of her story, but not part okay. of her current nature. Gotcha. Okay. Which, I'm with I you. think she's trying to say Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> but the world that we live in, our anti Christian age disagrees. It believes once gay, always gay, along with a host of other lies. If I had a dollar for how many times some gay Christian told me that my problem is internalized homophobia, I'd be a really wealthy woman. Indeed, five lies of our anti-Christian age have coiled their way from the world to the church. And I have nothing to stand on. I used to believe all of these lies as once. And what are the five lies? Well, we just covered one of them. Homosexuality is normal. The second lie is that pagan spirituality is kind and inclusive. The third lie is that feminism is good for the church and the world. Well, so let's rewind it. I want to take these lies one at a time. Let's, because I think these are interesting. Oh, I don't want to go that idea. far. I don't want to go that far. Let's. Is internalized homophobia. Here's the first one. I'd be a really wealthy woman. Indeed, five lies of our anti-Christian age have coiled their way from the world to the church. And I have nothing to stand on. I used to believe all of these lies as once. And what are the five lies? Well, we just covered one of them. Homosexuality is normal. The so that, that is what we've been seeing over the last, what, 15, 20 years is normalizing homosexuality and making everyone feel you even heard your story just before John of the guy who said, well, how do you know you're not gay if you haven't tried it? How have you seen the normalizing of homosexuality impact the church? I would say that um, it has. So there, there's a few things, because this is a topic that I think about all the time because I have many friends who um, who are in this community. Mm -hmm. And I think one, uh, I'm going to speak about positive things that have happened from it, okay? It has forced us to have a better conversation about it. And I think it has forced us to uh, understand the – try our best to understand where somebody is coming from and also 
now we have a a new a new version of this to battle against because since it's becoming normalized normal meaning uh socially moral right it's mm -hmm. morally acceptable on a uh, throughout society so it, whereas you know 20 30 years ago it wasn't as morally acceptable now i think a lot of here's here's what happens is that when something isn't morally acceptable uh even if it's rightfully so the way we go about treating people who may struggle with this stuff can be very uh very harmful in a way and not loving you know there's a difference between telling somebody hey that's a sin that's wrong jesus died for your sins you know there's a difference between that and you're burning in hell because of this and you, all of you homos are going to hell like there's there's a difference in in approach and i think that um somebody could hear that and it'd be a slap in the face but i think that the 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 more productive conversation is the one that we've been forced to have now because it's so prevalent now that doesn't mean that we are to budge on this it it just means that we need to get better at having the conversation right um so i think that that's a that's a good thing that has come from it that it has forced us to equip ourselves to have this conversation sure. right I, I think the challenge the challenge though is there are many and forced us I, I think that when you say us as christians i think there are many who have not engaged in in way of figuring out and instead bowed to culture and instead have felt the push of culture over scripture and have fit scripture to now fit what they believe culturally and and this is the challenge we all face like let's not pretend that we can go to the bible without any bias without any preconceived notions without any feelings of what we want it to say even but what we're seeing, I think, is a generational shift. I will hear Christians oftentimes, particularly young Christians, say, I'm looking for a church, but the church has to be affirming. Like it's it's one of the top things they're looking for before they even think about music style, before they even think about some of the other things. What kind of community does it have for me to be plugged into? Some of the other things that people might look for in a church, people are saying, well, what do they believe about homosexuality? It's it's become that level of a defining characteristic of community that it's put a lot of pressure in many ways on the church and a lot of pressure on church members who I don't think had a, a biblical strong enough framework to handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what uh, she's probably referring to, while she used the term normalization or, or whatever, it was something about being normal, what I think she was trying to get at was the forced acceptance of it. Correct. Um, and I think that that is where a lot of Christians are, are scared to call a spade a spade because once you get to a certain level, uh you you can't really talk about how it's a sin uh otherwise your business could get canceled or your mm -hmm. um you know you could just get called out and and it could ruin your life uh in in certain aspects but at the same time i do agree uh very much with john that uh we have we have historically done a bad job at engaging 
this group. Uh, that's not to say that I, uh, you know, that's not to say similar to what I was just saying. I don't, I don't believe necessarily that this group is some sort of um, bullied minority in 2023. While that may have been the case 20, 30 years ago, I don't believe that that's the case today. Um, so I don't, I don't think that there needs to be some sort of overextension of, I don't want to call it grace, but politeness mm. um, to where I, Vody Bauckham said this one time, he said, you never hear somebody start a sermon by saying, uh, you know, I have no problem with child abusers and I love child abusers and I have lots of friends that are child abusers, uh, but child abuse is a sin. And so I don't know. I I feel like there's a balance. I I feel like sometimes we overextend ourselves in trying mm -hmm. to not sound like we're homophobic because it's very it's very hot topic and you can very easily get canceled for it. Uh, but then at the same time, it it is very necessary because historically, the church has been very very bad um, mm -hmm. at having conversations with this group with grace and love. And so I don't know, it's a tough balance. I don't think I have the answer, but uh, definitely a lot of things to think about. And I, I've mentioned this before in my own streams, that if, if folks are trying to find ways to have those conversations better, I would <clears throat> point you to a book called Messy Grace by Caleb Klettenbach. He is uh, the son of a gay man and a gay woman who ends up becoming a conservative pastor. If that doesn't make you want to read his story, he's seen both sides and he comes to a conclusion um, that what the Bible says is true. And as a result, he's actually had a chance to lead his mom to Christ. And, and, I, and so, so I think that books like that, but that's a messy situation, hence the term of the book. And I think we as Christians have to be more, more willing to be in the uncomfortable in this. Let's keep hearing what she has to say, because she's got a few more yeah, that I yeah. think are good to talk through lie is that pagan spirituality is kind and inclusive pagan spirituality is kind and inclusive what do you think she means about that i think she'll break these down a little bit more um but right as you hear that pagan spirituality is kind and inclusive what do you think about that john being the the, <laughs> the, the pagan spirituality guru. That's got John Clash written all over it, bro. That's that's Clash. Yeah, that's a that's a no. It's just a it's just a straight up no. It is it is not. It, it is far from uh, inclusive. They they play the game that they're inclusive, but they exclude anybody who believes Jesus is God. That's the mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. You can believe anything else that you want. <laughs> uh, there's all paths to heaven except jesus being the path to heaven unless you believe he's a ascended master or a reincarnation of the buddha or any of those things but just definitely not the son of god definitely not the only way as long as you believe that you can have a jesus because the pagans have a jesus too the um, pantheists have a jesus the um, new mm -hmm. agers the new thought have a jesus everybody's got a jesus it's just not the real jesus right so I would say that uh, they're not very kind either. Uh, just go read my book. You'll find out real quick that uh, they're, they're not very kind. Um, but, and they also were like the kings and queens of child sacrifice. So, um, 
to say that that it's uh, kind and inclusive. I would say that you don't know your history. Yeah. Well, and, and yes, yeah, and so she's saying exactly that 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 many people have bought the lie that it's kind and inclusive, and even. Uh, Ji Hyu Shin is here and says, um, pagan spirituality is kind of inclusive. They never heard of Imperial Japan. And yeah, I think Word. that you can, you can look at a lot of examples of how. So you could call, you could call G, uh, call him Paul. That's, uh, that's my guy, Paul over there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. He's in South go. Korea. Fantastic. Well, welcome all the way from across there. Let's keep rolling. See what she says next. We'll take these next two together. The third lie is that feminism is good for the church and the world. That should get a little something out of you guys. Actually, well, she, she made it longer. We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> so I would say, which wave are we, are we talking about here? <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And well, I think what she's saying is here, here's my perspective. Um, I don't believe this is just a strictly egalitarian, complementarian conversation. What she is saying is that the feminist perspective that is put upon scripture is bad for the church. If you read scripture through a feminist narrative, you come to a conclusion that uh, everything is evil against women, that all of the first century practices that all of the laws that are even in the Old Testament are still oppressive to women. So this God must be oppressive to women still, right? It didn't happen fast enough. And so when, when, you, when you read the Bible or come to religion with that presupposition, it's bad for the church. I would add to that, I would say anything that you bring to the church like that, that becomes the lens by which you read everything else through is bad for the church. But yeah. she's using mm -hmm. feminism as that example. Yeah, and uh, I just got to say, as a side note, I hate when when preachers like beg people to clap for them when they make a point. <laughs> it drives me nuts. But so, uh, that's besides the point. Well, but, but uh, here's part of the point. Here's part of the point. She's up there preaching at Liberty University. <laughs> that is true. That's a great point. There, there's a lot of people that would look at that and go. That's out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but anyways, back to feminism. Obviously, I think we all You guys are such I'm I'm sorry. You guys are just such patriarchal bigots, I just have to say. <laughs> I can't I'm I was just here. about to get into <laughs> I was just about to get into why it's a good thing that women can vote. I'm like sorry, that. I'm sorry. Go, go, go. <laughs> So obviously, historically, you know, there has been good things that came from certain waves of feminism, such as being able to vote, being able to, you know, Absolutely. own land or, you know, all the basics of, you know, human rights. Yeah, that's all good stuff. But uh, yeah, modern day, although I would say, and I totally disagree with the Christian nationalists on this, some some Christian nationalists actually think that those things are bad. But but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but anyways, I think that modern day feminism uh, is bad for the church in the way that it's bad for marriages of Christian men and women. I think that uh, if a wife really buys into 2023's version of feminism, 
Uh, I don't think that she's going to respect her husband. I think that there's going to be division in the marriage. Uh, I think that uh, there's going to be an air of, of pride and arrogance because this movement has a lot of pride and arrogance uh, mixed into it. And uh, I think that, uh, sure, it's it's definitely bad for the church, just as any any other non-Christian ideology is is bad for the church. But I think specifically, it's it it could be bad for marriages. I think that it's divisive in marriages. Yeah, I think even uh, classical feminists look at the feminist movement today and, and shake their head at it. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I think you're right. Well, let's keep rolling. Uh, let's take a bigger chunk of this video. I want to keep getting through this because I think she's got some really interesting things to say. So we'll take a minute or two here. I know she's going to give a few more of the lies, but let, let's keep rolling through it. I'll take it. The fourth lie is that transgenderism is normal. And the fifth lie is that modesty for women is outdated and dangerous. These lies, which have entered the church and the Christian college, have one thing in common. They discourage repentance of sin, and they encourage the pride of victimhood. And these lies have a subtle appearance, because Satan is a liar who specializes in the persuasive lie of the half-truth. Let me give you some examples. Have you this is where she's going to start to get a little feisty. Heard that same-sex attraction is a sinless temptation and only a sin if you act on it. Or that people who experience same-sex attraction are actually gay Christians called to lifelong celibacy. Or that people who experience same-sex attraction rarely, if ever, change and therefore should never pursue heterosexual marriage. Or that sex and gender are different and that God doesn't care about whether men live as men and women live as women, because all you need to do is grow in the fruit of the Spirit, as though the fruit of the Holy Spirit can grow from sin. I have heard all of these lies, and just in the last year, from Christian ministries. And this is where I name names, and I'm an English professor, so I call this citing my sources. Andy Stanley. Revoice. Preston Sprinkles Exiles in Babylon conference sponsored by his heretical Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender and crew. Ooh, you can hear everyone in Liberty going, wait, there's a crew group on our campus. If you don't know who, if you don't know who crew is, that's uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Receipts, people. And I have believed these lies too, and not only as a Christian, and I have repented publicly as a Christian in my book to you in articles, and these people can do the same. We don't throw people away, but without repentance, we don't trust them. We trust repentant saints, not just people with flashy ministries. Was it biblical? I got you. I disagree with we trust repentant saints because 
I have seen many people crocodile tear repenting just to go back into doing what they what they already have done. Benny Hinn, uh, Todd White, um, you know these people who have publicly repented, but then continue going back. So I I just would disagree. It's like also too like what do you want somebody in perpetual repentance? You know. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think she's, she's, I get what she's saying. I, I definitely do. And I think that somebody who truly repents and, and change, you know, there's a change that comes with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's also, um, you can have a, a, a facade of a change. I always um, think about the Lord, Lord passages where, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, these people were doing all the all the works they were doing all of the things that us on the outside looking at them would be like wow these are like super christians right here mm -hmm. and yet um you know jesus says I, I never knew you depart from me you workers of iniquity uh the the whole like this is why i have an issue with fruit inspection right and, and it's mm -hmm. i have an issue with it to an extent i do think that we should you know, take a look at how somebody's living and be like, uh, probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't listen to that guy. But uh, we were having this conversation, Ryan, um, at, um, mm -hmm. at, at dinner when, you know, in acts, uh, when, when the jailer's like, you know, what must I do to be saved? And it was just believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your family. And it, it wasn't like this after that, like we never got to follow him, you know, we never got to see what, what this person's life was like. Mm -hmm. I could imagine it was drastically different, mm -hmm. but I think that there, that there is this like hyper focus on public repentance and, and not being in somebody's life and seeing their walk with, with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. And then to, to say the whole, um, you know, if, if a Christian, who chooses to live a life of celibacy because they they have not um you know they haven't shaken the uh the same-sex attraction that they have i have friends like this who are they've chosen to be celibate and even paul says you know i wish that none of you get married you know sure. so uh yeah. so for her to make this, this just sweeping statement of that's false that you can't be a christian and still have same-sex attraction i said show me like show me in the bible where it says that show me the scripture yeah. where it says you are never going to struggle with this specific sin ever again and yep. mm -hmm. i just think that uh that that's just it's i was liking what she was saying up until up until then because i just think that we <laughs> you know she threw a bunch of people who have ministries out there ministering to people who struggle with same-sex attraction and help them through those walks and, yeah. and are like, Hey, I'm celibate. You know, you can, you can do this. Look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. We can do this together. We can, we can come together and work through this. And then you're just going to throw all of those people away because you have a, a, a difference in opinion because your life worked out differently. I don't know. I just, I'm disappointed in that. So, and here's, here's where I am going back and forth in my own mind. What is the difference between temptation 
and sin, when is it that temptation turns into sin? Because I think that that's what we're talking about here. She's trying to make the case, and she made it from the beginning, that part of her sinful nature was this attraction. It was part of her sinful nature, and that that was crucified with Christ, and she is a new creation. Uh, However, however, while things might change, uh, we are not sinless as Christians. We, we, we still struggle. Our desires begin to change. And I think that that's what, that's, I think her strongest case is Romans seven, where Paul, Paul talks about how it's not that he does what he desires. He does the opposite of what he desires now. So our desires are transformed, but is that instantaneous? Is that a process? Yes. I think it's both. I think things change instantaneously. I think things change process wise, but I think her blanket statement gets very close for me to same sex attraction is sin, where I think a lot of people would see attraction in general, same sex or otherwise as temptation. Like, Uh I don't, I don't know. I think Jesus raised the bar on lust. But you is me what being I mean? attracted, like, but so is me being attracted to other women the same as lust? I, no, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. That's what I'm. Trying I think to that's say. a. I think that's a natural thing, right? Like Correct. it's it's just, mm-hmm. um, it's it's in the same way where we think a painting is beautiful, right? Uh, a painting may be beautiful to one person, not beautiful to another. We're attracted to this painting. I want this painting in my house, right? Um, so I would say you are correct that an attraction, I don't think that that's sin, especially because it's so passive. You know what I mean? Like a, an attraction can just, like you can, you can see an attractive woman and acknowledge that this woman is attractive without lusting after her. And, and I think, think that, huh? Do you think we can be attracted to people that we know would be sinful for us? What do you mean? Like, for example, um, if I'm like, I can't stop the attraction to every other female except my wife. And I know that acting on the attraction that I have to other females other than my wife would be sinful. Right. So like Mm -hmm. my my battle isn't to root out all attraction or at least I've never seen that case made. I I see Mm -hmm. Jesus talking about like if you if you lust then you've committed adultery. But I don't think lust and attraction are the same thing necessarily. Right. I think I'm in agreement with you um, on that because, you know, I would say that where it becomes sin and this would, this is, I would say whether, you know, if, if you're somebody who struggles with same sex attraction, right. Does that mean that you are struggling with a same sex lust? Right. Like I, since I'm not, gay i don't you know i I don't know how that how it works in that area but how are we to just say right somebody who's been attracted to the same sex their their whole entire life right let's say they do the same thing with the attractions that they feel they do the same things that we feel when we see an attractive woman or whatever and they do the same thing they immediately say oh yeah that's cool boom push it to the side and keep moving with their day, right? 
are they at fault just because it's it's a different attraction than than what would be considered uh, normal? Because regardless, all all uh, relationships and, and sex outside of the marriage between a man and a woman is sinful, right? So yeah. do they cross into sin simply because it's uh, it's the same sex or? You know, I'm I'm trying to work this out with you guys right here in real time. What do you what What's your thoughts? Well, and, and so let's let's take a look at it and anger for a second. I think looking at other other things that we engage because I'm mm-hmm. not saying we're going to solve this, but think about I'm, I, I mean I've always even when I was young, uh, before Christ and in those times or in the times that I may have been in like anger and being angry can be a challenge, right? And there's some people that are very predisposed to anger, and what do they do? They seek after Christ. Yeah. I mean, we can all be there, right? Um, what do we do? We seek after Christ. Uh, yeah. It's because I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and so I think that as we're considering anger, right? Anger can, can still be a natural feeling. Now, I think the difference is she would argue, and I think I would agree that this is unnatural, as, as Romans defines, but right. it is nonetheless something that is there as a temptation that is there for me to give into. And I think that uh, experiencing a flare up or a moment of where I feel myself starting to get angry versus predisposed and, and angry often, I, I think it's not perfect, but th- this is where I start to think, she she goes into heresy and calls the organization heretical and uh-huh. i i that's where i was like i can disagree with you on doctrine and you're not a heretic i don't know that splitting hairs on how we talk about the difference between sin and temptation means heresy yeah right and if and I know, I know we haven't given you a chance to talk yet, Ryan, but just <laughs> like, <laughs> That's you know, cool. in, in first Corinthians, it talks about, uh, I believe it's first, first Corinthians about, um, when we're tempted, God gives us a way out. Right. So if being tempted is the sin and he gives us a way out, like, what is it from sinning further? Right. If if we're going to mm. label, you know, just temptation as a sin, is that is that an escape from sinning further or is it an escape from the sin altogether? Right. So these are these are some things to to think about as well. I'm sorry, Ryan. I just wanted to say that before it it left me floated out. <laughs> no, totally understandable. It happens to me all the time. And I think that uh, you guys pretty much voiced all of my opinions when it comes to, uh, you know, the potential natural feelings of same-sex attraction for these folks and, uh, you know, celibacy and things of that nature. I think you guys hit it right on the head. The only other thing that I was uh, thinking, and I was texting Jeremy Jeremy about it beforehand, is I've, I've consumed some content from Preston Sprinkle. I've read a couple of his books. Uh, he has a podcast, Theology in the Raw, where he has folks come on and they discuss theological topics. And this does not, this is not a man who, in my opinion, is a heretic. I I find him to be incredibly thoughtful when he's uh, going through and discussing theological topics. And I think he sticks to the text. And uh, also another thing to note that 
I'm not, and I'm not like a Preston Sprinkle apologist here or anything. It's just that you need to, you need to do a little bit more uh, research than just taking people's word for it sometimes, I think. And uh, another thing I know about him is that he believes and teaches that homosexuality is a sin. And so like any kind of claim that his teachings and conferences are some sort of affirming thing is like totally false. Uh, so that's something else to think about. Yeah. I think she's trying to split hairs around uh, remaining same sex attracted versus being completely cured from that attraction. She is mm -hmm. one who was same sex attracted was in a relationship with women and now is no longer same sex attracted and in a relationship with a man and has a family. So I think yeah. her case is uh, stating that when you come to faith in Christ, that changes everything, which I actually would agree with, but that also doesn't mean our sin struggle is gone. In fact, it usually just means we have more of a, of a fight to kill our sin daily. Now that we know the depth of our sin. Uh, and I'm going to do a shameless plug here because I was planning to do it this past Friday and I'm glad I didn't cause she just came out with this, but I'm going to be reacting and uh, watching through the two hour conversation that Preston Sprinkle had with Sean McDowell, where they walk through nine of the 21 objections that people have or that they bring forward of why homosexuality is okay from the Bible. And he debunks them basically. Nice. It's a really good conversation. And I, I heard her come out with this. And I haven't read a lot of Preston Sprinkle. I'm, again, I'm not an apologist here, but when we start throwing around the heretic word, uh, I have a, I start to really get uh, Arthur from Apologia Center. And I uh, talk about this often when we, when we have talked and it's like, we don't throw that word around because people have forgotten what that actually means. I mean, yeah, that, right. that, that means you are um, definitely 100% not a Christian, not saved. And I think that it's very dangerous for us to do that when we're talking yeah. about matters of sin and, and what is sin, what isn't sin in this degree. But yet everyone would hold to an orthodox understanding of Trinity, of salvation, of like of the core essentials. So, yeah. You know, uh, one other quick thought uh, about this this section of her speech is uh, I feel as if folks who have been forgiven of much are also quite forgiving uh, and a bit more understanding when other folks struggle with sin. Mm. And, you know, I'm not saying I know anything about her life or anything of that nature, but I feel myself, I was a humongous sinner before coming to Christ and made a ton of mistakes. And I think because of that, I'm able to look back and have a little bit more grace on people who mm -hmm. struggle for a long time with sins. And uh, I, I've heard it from other other pastors and leaders that would that would say that some of these folks who are much less gracious may have feel as if they weren't saved from a whole lot. Uh, prior to coming to Christ, or they were generally, they feel generally as if they're pretty good people. So, yeah, the, um, I was thinking about what you were saying, uh, Jeremy, about 
you know, what about anger, right? And so as I was sitting here processing everything you guys are, are saying, I'm, I'm thinking about how she kind of singled this one thing out of how it's radically changed in her life. But, and this is just speculation, I would assume that she has other sins that she struggles with though, hmm. yeah. right? Because 100%. I can look at my life and there's certain things that I still struggle with, definitely not at the same level as I used to struggle with them prior to, to being saved and throughout my sanctification process. But there are certain things that like don't really got a grip on me anymore, you know, like at all. But does that mean that if I, if I looked at maybe Jeremy who, um, so like gossip is one thing, right? Like gossip that does not have a grip on me at all, at all. And it like disgusts me. Right. So, but what if, you know, and I'm not saying that, that you have this issue, Jeremy, but like, what if, well, let's talk know, about Pastor, Jeremy, <laughs> yeah, you know, like what if Pastor Jeremy struggles with gossip, right? That's maybe that's his Round Achilles one, heel, right? <laughs> right. But that's, that's his Achilles heel sure. to bring it back to the, to the beginning. Um, and am I, am I just, am I to say, <laughs> am I to say that, Jeremy no, I... is a heretic. You know, this dude's a, a pastor at, at a church. Am I to say he's a heretic because he struggles with this one this one thing? How how do I know all of the other stuff that maybe uh, the Holy Spirit has helped him conquer, but he just has an issue with this one thing? So are we picking the sin in which we we can now pick this sin? And if we see this sin prevalent in anyone's life or even an attraction towards this sin or a temptation leaning towards this sin if we can see that this that this is something that somebody struggles with now boom that person's a heretic i just don't see, i don't think that even, that's a good way to think she's not even saying that though and that's that's what she's if i was even attracted to gossip right mm -hmm. exactly and exactly. and that's and that's the point where i start to I think this starts to fall down. And here's the thing, like, like we've said, everyone she's mentioned upholds a biblical understanding of marriage, upholds a biblical understanding of sin. And, and so to use the term, the heretical organization, maybe she's not meaning that Preston Sprinkle himself is a heretic. But when you say heretical organization, like if, if I'm the pastor of a church and you call my church heretical, you're, you're calling me <laughs> heretical, right? Like it, you can't separate yeah. those. And, and so to say that is basically to say, if you haven't figured out all of your sin stuff before you come to Jesus, you can't really come to Jesus. But yet look time and time again, that is not what happens in scripture time and time again, God calls and regenerates sinners while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Not while we figured out our sin, not, not, waiting to get all things together. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I think when we start putting these together, uh, she's basically saying, if you're living in same-sex attraction, you cannot be a Christian. I would give that a caveat to say, if you're unrepentantly living in, in any sin, there is a deep question as to your allegiance to Christ. I think unrepentant sin brings up questions, but I'm still not even going to say that definitely means you're not a Christian, right? Like, 
let's be cautious. Yeah. yeah. So there was, I'm sorry, go for it, Ryan. No, no, you're what you have to say, I'm sure is significantly more important. <laughs> Definitely. So <laughs> <laughs> the sin of pride showing its face. Um, so <laughs> at the beginning of my Christian walk, there was certain sins that didn't really, um, that I, I wasn't like, uh, struggling, uh, fighting with, I was just mm -hmm. continuing in them. But then there was other things that I was really like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. And it, it didn't seem like until the Holy spirit worked in me and I, I was able to, to really wrestle with those initial things. It's like the Holy spirit kind of just helped me deal with this one thing. And then it was like, all right, cool. Well, now we're going to work on this other thing, right? And that's kind of how it went in my life. I really don't think I would have been able to wrestle with all of my sin at one moment in time. Like, I just don't think I would have had the capacity to do it. It would have been, it would have been uh, like a burden on my shoulders that I would not have been able to bear. I would have lost my mind. I think that the, that the way the Holy Spirit worked in my life, that he gradually took me through this process and I'm 100% still going through it. I think that's the that's the way that I needed to go through it. And I think other people, and that's not an excuse for any of those sins that I was committing. I'm not saying that, oh, that's okay that you are still continuing that or even tempted to do any of those things, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. saying this is how the process went for me. Other people, I've seen their lives just go boom, boom totally, totally different person um, immediately. And I think when we get into speculating people's processes, one, there was a, a saying that we said, uh, in like personal development, right? Not everyone starts near the end, uh, the end zone. Some people start at the 50 yard line. Other people are starting at the 20 yard line. Some people are starting all the way at the other end zone. Some people are in a completely different stadium, you know? So the, the process that you go through is going to look different for everybody. And I, that's not a cop out. You know, a lot of people, when they hear somebody say that, especially hyper-legalist people, they'll, they'll hear you say, look, everybody's process is different. They say, oh, no, that's a cop-out. That's because you, you just mm. you want to continue sinning or, or whatever. But that's not, that's not true. I, I think the majority of Christians, first off, the majority of Christians are not doing podcasts talking about their Christianity. The majority of Christians are not publicly professing Christ on their social media. The majority of Christians are not... Um, evangelizing every single day. So the majority of Christians are not discipled either, right? And this is why I have such a passion for new believers, because I think that if we get more people through the discipleship process and, and start them moving, then there will be more people doing what we're doing. And not to say that what we're doing is anything significant, but it's just more than most, right? So I know I'm going on a tangent, but well, it's it's almost as if we were commanded to make disciples or something. Yeah, some, <laughs> some I don't know. It's so <laughs> crazy, so crazy. Like, but yeah, that, right. I think that's in the Bible somewhere, somewhere right? Right? Yeah, yeah somewhere. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, I'm I'm going on a tangent, but it's it's because when we are looking at other people's walks, we have to be very careful about throwing the H word out. That's all that I'm saying mm -hmm. as I went through all of that. Agreed. And, you know, I love analyzing and discussing theology with you guys, you know, honestly, but I feel like I'm constantly analyzing and discussing theology 
uh, with my friends and on my channel and stuff. And so what I've, what I've enjoyed about this video is trying to analyze and figure out her behavior. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like, um, from my observations, I could be wrong, but I find it might be probable that this could also just be some sort of, uh, some sort of like clout chasing event, uh, because it is like super mad cool to, uh, condemn progressive ideas uh in the conservative republican world and you know i'm not progressive at all i'm very conservative and uh but at the same time i don't i don't know what the motives are behind this specific speech but it comes across to me as some sort of desire to grow a social media presence or to have a clip from the speech go viral and be talked about on Fox News or something like that. That's the feeling I'm getting. But uh, you know, I could be I could be totally wrong in that. Well, and, and I think there there was I saw a few commenters as I was scouring the the X that I still can't say that Twitter, and uh, <laughs> and I think a few people said that it feels like she's trying to keep in step with organizations like TGC and Doug Wilson's group and some of these more and more conservative, even maybe leaning Christian nationalists. Uh, those are big, broad labels, but you know, you know what I mean? Like trying to stay in that lane in, in such yeah. a way to still be, Hey, I'm differentiating myself from maybe even the middle because no one, I, all of us here would look at Preston Sprinkle and go, that's not, he's not a progressive Christian. Progressive uh -huh. Christians are people that are denying God's word and saying everything is permissible. That's not uh -huh. Preston Sprinkle. So she's shifting the right to to make or shifting from the middle to differentiate. So I, I I'm not going to assume motive, and I don't think that's what you're saying either. But I wouldn't be surprised if she wouldn't then be invited to to some of these other <laughs> um, events and things because of these stances. Yep, I agree. Yeah, it's it's the new celebrity. And well, yeah. and and she is very conservative. She's conservative to the point where she's a psalm singer. They don't worship any other way. Hyper regulative principle. And you know what? That's fine if that's your conviction from scripture. But it's also a secondary issue. So it, when you start stacking things up, and it, I'll come back to it as I said at the beginning of this, though, you all should read "The Gospel Comes with a House Key" by Rosaria Butterfield. I think that book alone of her story and how radical hospitality changed her life. Every Christian needs to hear that story. I might disagree with her on other topics. I don't think she's a heretic. I'll disagree with her on some things, but I also think her story has a powerful thing to show us as Christians because for her, the number one thing that drew her into the LGBTQ community was just that the community of it. And when she finally experienced true Christian community, she she realized what she, the community she was in was just a poor imitation of the real thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what we can pull from this. There's still four minutes left of her talk. And it was this was, again, an eight minute clip from a full talk at Liberty. So we might have taken things out of context unintentionally, but I, I think right. we've tried to engage with what she said here in the clip that's been going around pretty pretty extensively any closing thoughts as we're kind of winding to the end here and thinking about the whole conversation tonight as a whole 
I'm just glad I know so many uh, smart people like you guys. Mm, I feel the same way. I'd also say that I'd love to see a debate between Megan Rapino and Rosario Butterfield. Whatever it is. I feel like that would be a great conversation. I think if anyone can pull that off, it's the Bible dingers. Oh, <laughs> Let's make it happen, bro. <laughs> Let's do it. Rosario, I, I have a feeling Megan Rapino may not have as much to share as you're thinking she might. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> but get get the Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. Uh, well, guys, thanks. Thanks for being here. Chat, thanks for being here. If you haven't already, hit that like button. If you haven't seen, we've been dropping some clips from previous live streams. So if you haven't been able to catch the whole live stream, don't worry. This will be clipped up eventually and put out with some thoughts and ideas. So please consider sharing some of those if you found these helpful. And if you're watching this on the replay, make sure you let us know what you think down in the comments below. And what would you want us to talk about next? What is something that you desire for us to talk about? Even throw us a, throw us a tough one that we might actually disagree because a lot of these things we've been finding agreement. Uh, there's definitely some things we disagree on. And we'd love to talk about those things too. So guys, thanks for being here. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for watching this episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Make sure you click that bell for notifications so you don't miss the next time we go live and answer the most important question, Why Jesus? We'll see you live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Until next time, peace.